Good evening, saints. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's hard to believe that this is the last service, evening service, for our reunion. It's been a lovely week, and the Lord has blessed us in so many different ways, and I have come to uh, love you good people, and I appreciate so much uh, you being here and enduring with us some of the hot nights that we've had, but the Lord has blessed us with a breeze here towards the end of the week, and I'm most appreciative for that. I'd like to thank the Bendorf family that shared in the Ministry of Music this evening. We'll hear from them again. And my new friend, Hannah Edwards, on the piano. Thank you so much, Hannah. And my dear wife for the emergency save on the wind blowing the music sheets. So thank you, Brenda, for that. I have on the rostrum with me to my right um, Brother uh, Luke Richmond, who's a deacon from the Buckner Restoration Branch, and a good friend of mine for many years, Brother Carl Anderson, that'll be bringing the spoken word uh, this evening, an elder from the Nobnoster Restoration Branch, and then uh, to my left, Brother Joe Gio, a priest from the uh, Buckner Restoration Branch. So we're so pleased that we can be here uh, with you this evening to, to continue in this uh, time of worship and praise. I'd like to read to you a call to worship out of the second book of Nephi, the 11th chapter, and I'm going to begin at the 26th verse. And after they had scattered, and the Lord God has scourged them by other nations for the space of many generations, yea, even down from generation to generation, until they shall be persuaded to believe in Christ, the Son of God, and the atonement which is infinite for all mankind. And when that day shall come, that they shall believe in Christ and worship the Father in his name with pure hearts and clean hands, and look not forward any more for another Messiah, then at that time the day will come that it must needs be expedient that they should believe these things. And the Lord will set his hand again a second time to restore his people from their lost and fallen state. Wherefore, he will proceed to do a marvelous work and a wonder among the children of men. Wherefore, he shall bring forth his words unto them, which words shall judge them at the last day. For they shall be given them for the purpose of convincing them of the true Messiah, who was rejected by them, and unto the convincing them that they need not look forward any more for a Messiah to come. I pray that the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of those words. And I'd ask you, saints, if you would now join me and let's turn to hymn number 295, The Lord Jehovah Reigns, number 200 and 95.
Our dear God in heaven, Lord, I come to you now at this uh, start of thy uh, time and this uh, worship that we have uh, all gathered in to uh, hear thy word. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be ever so near with us tonight uh, in our time, that your uh, loving angels would uh, surround us, this building and these people that have gathered in, Lord, to hear, to hear thy word of thy servant, uh, that uh, you would be with him in his uh, final preparations, Lord, as I know that uh, if it be your will that uh, you would have those words uh, pierce the heart and the souls of all that have joined this room, Lord, that uh, if there be any weary hearts, Lord, that you would uh, let them uh, be able to uh, fill thy gentle, peaceful spirit come among them, that they would uh, not be lost, Lord, as uh, we, this is our last setting, that uh, we would have the opportunity to hear hear thy message from uh, from you, Lord, that our brethren would be able to uh, speak it in the, the way that uh, someone would need, that it would be able to be a direct uh, influence into their life, that uh, it could possibly be the change that they would need or the message that they need to restart, Lord. Just continue to be with us and bless our brother as he would give thy words that you would give him to speak. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. For scripture lesson tonight, I have chosen two passages of scripture. One is uh, selected verses from Alma, the 19th chapter, and then from section 90 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And now, my son, I have somewhat to say concerning the restoration of that which has been spoken. For behold, some have rested the scriptures and have gone far astray because of this thing. But behold, I will explain it unto thee. I say unto thee, my son, that the plan of restoration is requisite with the justice of God. For it is requisite that all things should be restored to their proper order. Behold, it is requisite and just according to the power and the resurrection of Christ that the soul of man should be restored to its body and every part of the body should be restored to itself. And it is requisite with the justice of God that men should be judged according to their works. And if their works were good in this life and the desires of their hearts were good that they should also at the last day be restored unto that which is good. And if their works are evil, they shall be restored unto him for evil. Therefore, all things shall be restored to their proper order, everything to its natural frame, mortality raised in immortality. 
corruption to incorruption, raised to endless happiness to inherit the kingdom of God, or to endless misery to inherit the kingdom of the devil. The one on the one hand and the other on the other, the one raised to happiness according to the desires of happiness, or good according to the desires of good, and the other to evil according to his desires of evil. For as he desired to do evil all the day long, even so shall he have the reward of his evil when the night cometh. And so it is, on the other hand, if he hath repented of his sins and desired righteousness unto the end of his days, even so shall he be rewarded unto righteousness. These are they that are redeemed of the Lord. Yea, and these are they that are taken out, that are delivered from that endless night of darkness. And thus they stand or fall. For behold, they are their own judges, whether to do good or evil. Now the degrees of God are unalterable. Therefore the way is prepared that whosoever will may walk therein and be saved. Do not suppose, because it has been spoken concerning restoration, that ye shall be restored from sin to happiness. Behold, I say unto you, wickedness never was happiness. Verily thus saith the Lord, it shall come to pass that every soul who forsaketh their sins and cometh unto me and calleth on my name and obeyeth my voice and keepeth my commandments shall see my face and know that I am and that I am the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. May the Lord add his blessing.
It's indeed a pleasure and a joy to be with you tonight, to come in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and to uh, stand in his stead, as it were, and to labor together as we seek to bring ministry in his name. I want to thank the Bendor family for the beautiful music that they've provided. I hope as they sang that song just now, you felt that good spirit which uh, came in and stirred amongst us and uh, settled upon us. Uh, truly, God is love, and uh, that is our testimony tonight. I told, uh, told Brother Joe earlier in the week that I had prayed and fasted over the service tonight. And I wasn't going to be talking on the theme. Didn't tell him at all what I was going to be talking about. And lo and behold, he stands up and reads a scripture about the great and marvelous work and the restoration of all things. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to share with you those things which I believe the Lord has put on my heart that might be meet for each of us in these last days. It was on a beautiful, clear day in the spring of 1820 in Palmyra's woodland when a young boy not quite 15 years old knelt in the woods to pray. If you recall that experience, the restoration began there in Palmyra's Grove with these words, this is my beloved son, hear him. I think sometimes as a church in the last days we've lost sight of that message that came to the young prophet. This message that the world needed to know, that they needed to hear the words of the Son of the Eternal Father. And so tonight I want us to take a look at some of those things that were shared with him there in the grove and in the subsequent visions and those things which I believe are needful for us to understand. If it was so important for Joseph as he knelt in the grove seeking guidance that the Lord told him, that God told him, this is my beloved son, hear him. What was it that Joseph needed to hear? What was it that the world needed to hear? What was it that the theological world had lost? Because we know as we read in church history, we read of the account of Joseph, and it was a day of much confusion, much commotion. There was a revival in the land. There was a work of reformation that was taking place. And so it was that he says there was a constant war of words 
and there were parties of religionists vying for membership for their churches. And so it was that he went to the grove. The scripture says that he had never before prayed aloud. And he decided on this occasion that he would make the attempt. I want to read from his own testimony. After I had retired into the place where I had previously designed to go, having looked around and finding myself alone, I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart to God. I had scarcely done so when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me and had such astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue that I could not speak. Thick darkness gathered around me and it seemed to me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. But exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me, and at the very moment when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction, not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world, unseen world, who had such a marvelous power as I had never before felt in my being, just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. It no sooner appeared than I found myself delivered from the enemy, which had held me bound. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description, standing above me in the air, one of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved son, hear him. My object in going to inquire of the Lord was to know which of all the sects was right, that I might know which to join. No sooner, therefore, did I get possession of myself so as to be able to speak, then I asked the personages who stood above me in the light, which of all the sects was right? For at this time, it had never entered into my heart that all were wrong and which I should join. I was answered that I must join none of them, for they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said all their creeds were an abomination in his sight. That those professors were all corrupt. They draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And they teach for doctrine the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. He again forbade me to join any of them and many other things did he say unto me, which I cannot write at this time. And so, brothers and sisters, as we consider this testimony that came to Joseph in the grove, we must ask ourselves, 
Why were all their creeds abominable before God? Not some of them, all of them. And why did he say that they draw near unto me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me? And they teach for doctrine the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And so, as we consider that tonight, I want to share with you a few things. What was so abominable in their creeds? And why was their creed or their religion so abominable that Joseph was told to join none of them? I believe that our church has gotten away from the fundamental message that came to Joseph in the grove. And I believe that if the church is to survive today, that that testimony must be revived, and it must be revived in each one of us. In Doctrine and Covenants section 1, we hear these words, And the day cometh that they who will not hear the voice of the Lord, neither the voice of his servants, neither give heed to the words of the prophets and apostles, shall be cut off from among the people. For they have strayed from mine everlasting ordinances and broken my everlasting covenant. And they seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness. But every man walketh in his own way after the image of his own God and in the likeness of the world, whose substance is that of an idol, which waxeth old and shall perish in Babylon, even Babylon which shall fall. And so in the very early days of the Restoration Movement, this council came to the church through the young prophet that the theological world had strayed from the ordinances and broken the everlasting covenant. And this is one of the reasons why their creeds were so abominable. During the Dark Ages, we know that the covenants and priesthood authority had been lost. And without priesthood authority and the covenants, and without priesthood to ratify those covenants, there was no power to bring men back into the presence of God. And without the ordinances and the authority of priesthood, the power of godliness cannot be made manifest unto men in the flesh. For without this, no man can see the face of God the Father and live. That's Doctrine and Covenants section 83. Do you understand the impact of that scripture? It's only through the ordinances and through the authority of priesthood and through the covenants and sacraments of the church that man is able to come back into the presence of God. Without it, the scripture says, man cannot see the face of God and live. And brothers and sisters, this is the whole purpose of the restoration that man might come back into the presence of God, that he might be restored 
to his innocent state before God, pure and innocent. And if he could be restored to God's presence, then he might live with God forever. And this was the whole design when God created us, that we might come back into his presence and live with him forever. And so we often talk about the restoration and the fullness of the gospel. We talk about the restoration of priesthood and priesthood authority. We talk about the fullness of the gospel. But our message has become diluted. The whole purpose of the restoration was to bring men into God's presence. And no other church and no other institution and no other fraternity on the face of the earth has this authority to bring men back into the presence of God. And that's why priesthood authority had to be restored. In the book of Revelation, in the 12th chapter, we find an account of a woman clothed with the sun. And there appeared a great sign in heaven in the likeness of things on the earth, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And the woman being with child cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and his throne. And so Zion is the very purpose of the restoration. That men on earth might be able to abide the presence of the Son. And that in celestial glory, we might abide the presence of the Father. The woman was the church of God in her innocent and pure state. And she was clothed upon with this glory which was from heaven. This was the church in her pure and chaste state before God. And upon her head was a crown of 12 stars. The apostolic ministry and the apostolic gift which is so important to the church today. The testimony that Jesus Christ lives. And she could not have the glory of the Father if she did not have this testimony that he lives. And the church must have this testimony restored today. Not just an intellectual testimony of Jesus Christ. But that testimony might come into the heart of men again and that they might know for a surety that he lives. Brother Arthur Oakman said, it would be a travesty if there were only 12 men in the church who had the apostolic gift. And brothers and sisters, in many ways, the church has left that testimony to the quorum of 12. And many today are intellectually inspired by the gospel, but many still have not been converted 
by this true testimony that Christ lives. And so it was necessary in the last days that the church and mankind be restored to this great testimony. In DNC 76, we have this testimony of Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon. We, Joseph Smith Jr. and Sidney Rigdon, being in the spirit on the 16th of February in the year of our Lord, 1832, by the power of the Spirit, our eyes were opened and our understanding was enlightened so as to see and understand the things of God, even those things which were from the beginning before the world was, which were ordained of the Father through his only begotten Son who was in the bosom of the Father, even from the beginning, of whom we bear record, and the record which we bear is the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the Son whom we saw, and with whom we conversed in the heavenly vision. And we beheld the glory of the Son on the right hand of the Father and received of his fullness and saw the holy angels and those who are sanctified before his throne, worshiping God and the Lamb who worship him forever and ever. And now after the many testimonies which have been given of him, this is the testimony last of all which we give of him that he lives. For we saw him even on the right hand of God. And we heard the voice bearing record that he is the only begotten of the Father, that by him and through him and of him the worlds are and were created, and the inhabitants thereof are begotten sons and daughters unto God. And so once again, we see this testimony restored to earth. You'll recall that in the Dark Ages, priesthood was taken off the earth. This testimony, this absolute truth of the testimony of Jesus Christ had been taken off the earth. And so this testimony was restored to Joseph and to Sidney as they knelt there in prayer and considered God's word. Jesus is the embodiment of God in the flesh that the church and the world may see that God dwelling in the flesh can overcome the flesh and that man can walk after the spirit and that the flesh might be subdued. And this is why God said to Moses on the mount, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. You can't do it on your own. You can never save yourself. 
The natural man will never give up the host, the flesh. And even in our most humble moments when we believe we are humble, the natural man will fight to the death to save the flesh. And God says to mortify the deeds of the flesh. The flesh has to die, brothers and sisters. Every one of us has an appointment with our final destiny. We're all terminal, aren't we? We all have an appointed time. This life is a life to prepare to meet God. And the life we prize in the flesh is the world. And this was never meant, this life in the flesh was never meant to be the prize. The prize is to live with God and to live with him eternally. I want you to think about an experience we find recorded in the Old Testament where the prophet Elijah went up to Mount Carmel. I don't know if you remember the account, but there was a prophetess, her name was Jezebel and the 400 prophets of Baal. And they had won over the hearts of much of Israel. And Elijah was tired of fighting this fight, continually fighting to preserve the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so he called upon the 400 prophets of Baal to go up on Mount Carmel. Do you remember the experience? And he said, once and for all, let's find out whose God is God. And he said, you put out your sacrifice. You bring a sacrifice and lay it on the altar. I'll bring a sacrifice and lay it on the altar. And we will ask God, we'll pray and ask God to come down and consume the sacrifice and show that he is God. Well, you'll recall that the prophets of Baal at the time of the morning sacrifice, they got out and they began to pray and they knelt and they prayed and they prayed and they wept and they called on God, on their God, and he did not come. And I believe it was at the time of the evening sacrifice then that Elijah began to taunt them. And he said, is your God asleep? Or is he dead that he cannot hear you? And so he asked them to come and pour water on his altar and his sacrifice. And then he said, while you're at it, dig a trench around the altar and fill it with water. And then he prayed and he asked God to show once and for all to Israel whose God was God. And the scripture says that fire came down from heaven, burned up the sacrifice that was soaked with water, burned up the altar which was soaked with water, and went down into the trench and licked up the water and burned up all of the sacrifice and the offering. That day on Carmel, through the power of his priesthood, Elijah restored to Israel the testimony of the true and living God.
And so Elijah became the great restorer, if you will. God proposes today to restore Latter-day Israel to this testimony. And he is just as willing today to express himself as he did on Carmel. But he is waiting for a priesthood who is willing to take upon them his name and go and encounter him as Elijah did on Carmel. And so, if you recall the angel that visited with Joseph three times during the night subsequent to the vision in the grove, said unto him, Behold, I will reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And that he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises of the fathers, and the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. If it were not so, the earth would be utterly wasted at his coming. Do you understand the significance of that? If it was not for the fact that God was going to restore this authority to earth in the last days, none could be preserved. None would be able to come back into the presence of God. And that is why there is only one true church. There is only one fraternity under which man can be returned and see the face of God. Elijah literally translated, do you know what it means, the Hebrew word? My God is Jehovah. My God is God. That is the literal translation of the name Elijah. He was prophetically named for his day because he was to be the restorer of the breach. In Malachi, the third chapter, we find these words. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord. And then in Malachi, the fifth chapter, also quoted by the angel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Do you see the strength of the testimony of the restored gospel? And why it is so important today that we cling to this testimony and that we seek it out in each of our lives. We need this testimony that we can stand before the face of God and live. Jesus spoke of Elijah coming. He said, for this is the one of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before my face, 
which shall prepare the way before me. Yea, as many as have prophesied have foretold of these days. And if you will receive it, he was the Elias who was for to come and prepare all things. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. You know what the Greek word Elias means, literally translated? Elijah. And so John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elias to restore all things. We have such a great testimony of his work. He was the forerunner of Christ. So now I want to bring you all the way forward to the early days of the Restoration, before the church was even organized. Joseph Smith, Jr. says, We still continued the work of the translation when in the ensuing month, May 1829, we on a certain day went into the woods to pray and inquire of the Lord respecting baptism for the remission of sins, as we found mentioned in the translation of the plates. While we were thus employed praying and calling upon the Lord, a messenger from heaven descended in a cloud of light, and having laid his hands upon us, he ordained us, saying unto us, Upon you, my fellow servants, in the name of Messiah, I confer the priesthood of Aaron, which holds the keys of the ministering of angels and of the gospel of repentance and of baptism by immersion for the remission of sins. And this shall never be taken from the earth until the sons of Levi do offer again an offering unto the Lord in righteousness. And so in his account, we're told that John the Baptist came and laid his hands on them and conferred the Aaronic priesthood. And there was restored to the church the Aaronic priesthood. There was restored to them the keys of the ministering of angels and the angel message, which is restoration and repentance. And so the Aaronic priesthood hold those keys of restoration. Have you ever thought about the fact that Joseph and those who were called to the work around him really completed almost all of the work of the restoration as Aaronic priesthood? Did you ever think about it? It wasn't until a year later, in April of 1830, that the church was organized and they were ordained as elders, the first elders of the church. Aaronic priesthood, you hold those keys. And there must come restoration to the law and the prophets. And men must be brought again to align with the law and the prophets. And until that happens, the Melchizedek priesthood cannot bring the people before the Lord for sanctification. The two must work hand in hand. And one is not more important than the other, brothers and sisters. They are co-laborers. And when they come together and offer their offerings in righteousness... Zion will return 
to the earth. This is so marvelous in the eyes of God. We're told in the book of Revelation that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. And if that testimony of Jesus is to live in us, then that prophetic spirit should live in each of us. And we should have such a testimony as was stated in the Book of Mormon by Alma and his brethren, that they had this spirit of revelation amongst them. They had the spirit of prophecy because they fasted and they prayed and they searched the scriptures. It's so important that the church returns to this ministry. My testimony to you tonight is that these things that I have shared with you are true. I know them to be true. I have seen the day of endowment. I was carried away in a dream several years ago, and I saw the day of power when the men of God would stand under the power and the endowment and the ministry and tutelage and mantle of the Holy Spirit and their words would have power to draw the hearts of mankind. I saw this day, and it is just before us. I've had several experiences recently, and I can tell you, brothers and sisters, that the church today is not in a state that it can receive the fullness of the inheritance that God has provided for you. And we must center our lives in the testimony of Jesus Christ. I know that there are many heavy hearts here in this branch. I know that over the last couple years you've suffered much affliction and much trial. I know that you have suffered great loss. And I know that your hearts are heavy. Some are afraid. Some are lonely. Some are wondering how they will hang on. And as I have prayed and fasted over you for several weeks now, I have felt the uh, impress of the Good Spirit. And he has given me light and understanding. And even this week, has given me comfort concerning you. In this regard, I'm permitted to share a few words with you. There shall come shortly a great cloud of witnesses such as the world has not known. The glory which shall pass, which shall surpass all understanding. Their wisdom shall know no bounds, and no fetters shall bind their hands. These shall come in the name of the Lord and in the power of his might. Theirs shall be the conqueror's song, and they shall be endued with power from on high. Their message of salvation 
shall be as the trumpeter's blast, and the ears of those who hear shall wonder at their words. As you behold the rising tide of evil, be not afraid. Very soon there shall come a wave of righteousness that shall whelm and overwhelm the earth and the glory of the Lord in his righteous indignation shall be revealed. Who shall abide the day of the Lord when he shall send forth the strength of his house? And who shall abide the fury of his arising when he comes to make known his name in the midst of his people? Remember, O Zion, I am thy God. Cry out and sing, O captive daughter of Zion. Sing the song of thy deliverer. Sing, O sing, of thy redeemer. Behold, I come quickly, even so. Brother Carl for that message this evening. And saints, I'll stand and bear witness to the words that have been spoken and share with you that that good spirit that uh, influenced the message this evening bore witness to me of the truth of that message and those words of comfort uh, to his children. We worship a God of truth mighty to save and powerful in his love to us and for us. Saints, I believe that we can honestly sing the words of this hymn that we will close with this evening. I have found the glorious gospel. Hymn number 195.
our Father and our God, we come to you now uh, so thankful, Father. I just want to sing and praise and say hallelujah. Lord, I, uh, I ask that you would keep that fire burning for you. Help us to be diligent in our studies and in our actions. Help us to take what we have learned from one another and from you this week, Lord. I ask that you would uh, bless each one of these homes as we, as we go. Help us to improve our lives. Help us to grow closer to you in our walk that we walk and the talk that we talk. With faith believing, Lord, that your son is the truth, the light, and the way. Like he said, no one comes to the Father except through him. He is our Lord and our Savior, our King of kings and our Lord of lords. And his name is Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray a benediction over this service. I pray that all that we've done this week has brought you honor and glory and made you smile. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Let's take our seats, please, and if you would, 